You obviously know Kung Fu. Hey, what's up? It's Ernie Reyes Jr. from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> A lone warrior finds himself without a memory, without a purpose, and without a home. But when he finds himself in the middle of a deadly business deal that threatens the lives of those around him, he learns that he might be more than even he could have imagined. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and here in the U.S., we just got done celebrating American independence, so let's keep the fireworks going and celebrate American Ninja. For 2,000 years, the sacred art of the ninja has been guarded in the East. Remember the day I found you. Now, it has come to the West. Remember what is hidden deep in your mind. He is the only soldier. Date of birth unknown. The only American. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating... The Secret Black Star Army. The mission to hijack a U.S. military arsenal. Your destiny, my son, awaits you. The adventure. The confrontation. Code. I will honor the code, Father. The invasion. The final hour. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American warrior. American Ninja, or as it was originally titled, American Warrior, is a 1985 American Ninja action film produced by Golan and Globus's Canon Films. It's directed by Sam Furstenberg, and the film stars the Michael Dudikoff in the title role. Now, if you're not familiar with Canon Films, they could fill a whole podcast by themselves, because at the height of their popularity, they were the king of B-movies, particularly low-budget action movies in the 80s. They made the Death Wish sequels, the Chuck Norris films, Delta Force, and Invasion USA, as well as setting off the U.S. ninja fever with Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, and Ninja 3 The Domination, all starring Shokasugi. They also did the Breaking movies and The Last American Virgin, but it was off the backs of the ninja craze that American Ninja was born. Our film opens up at the Army's Fort Sonora in the Philippines, where our guy Private Joe Armstrong, played by Michael Dudikoff, is sulking against a truck playing the loner with a bad attitude. Some other guys are playing hacky sack nearby, and Joe kind of goes out of his way to be a dick when the sack comes his way, and he doesn't even move to toss it back, even though he was asked for a little help twice. He flicks around a butterfly knife to show just how tough he is. The colonel's daughter, Patricia, hops into a convoy car, which Joe and company are tasked with safeguarding as they roll through the countryside. Patricia, by the way, is played by Judy Aronson, who you might recognize from her role in Weird Science. 
Along the way, the convoy comes across a road crew that they weren't expecting, and Joe happens to catch an excavator rolling in behind them and blocking their rear. And sure enough, the crew is part of a larger, heavily armed ambush team who spill out of the hills and order everyone out of the trucks. They start taking uniforms from the soldiers, and Charlie, the guy driving Patricia, gets thrown through his car window when he doesn't respond quickly enough to the thugs' demands. Patricia shows the brass set on her when she pops out of the car and gets right in the face of one of the armed gunmen. Who the hell do you think you are? You have no business hitting there! Shut up! Ah! You have no business hitting the car! Look Unfortunately for the gunman, the sight of him backhanding her is what sets Joe off, and he springs into action. Joe elbows the gunman and gets grabbed by two other thugs. He spins his way out of their grip and lands some hard kicks to create some space. The dozens of other gunmen, by the way, just kind of stand there and watch with their guns half-heartedly pointed at their individual hostages. Upon seeing Joe get tough, though, the soldiers are all inspired to fight back and turn on their captors. Patricia, meanwhile, has hopped into the driver's seat and floored it, but she took a bullet to the tire, causing her to flip and roll into some nearby brush while the soldiers fend for themselves. Now, while Joe continues to drop the hammer, he avoids some gunfire and rolls towards a truck where he improvises some distance weapons by tossing screwdrivers and tire irons with deadly accuracy, taking out several goons in the process. The tide starts to turn in the soldier's favor, but overlooking the scene from the jungle is a lone ninja in full ninja gear. You know, all black with a hood, which provides the ultimate camouflage under the cover of night, except this is the middle of the day, in a jungle. Anyway, he watches with interest as Patricia has managed to survive her crash and crawls out of the wreckage, then slaps at the car like it was a routine flat tire or something. She also narrowly misses getting crushed by a tree that falls on the car. Soldiers are still dealing with the thugs who've abandoned the fisticuffs and are just trying to get away with the trucks now. Joe grabs onto one of the trucks, pulls himself up onto the roof, and uses a chained hook to crash through the windshield and steer the truck off the road while he casually flips off and rolls to safety. Of course, this wouldn't be an 80s action film if the truck didn't explode in a massive fireball for no apparent reason. Losing that truck, though, seems to set off our lone ninja who grunts out loud, and we see that he wasn't in fact alone at all. Several ninjas slide down out of the trees and flip into the melee. The soldiers, who have now picked up the gun, start firing away, but the ninja are able to avoid the gunfire and return serve by throwing their swords, which find their marks easily. They continue to sweep through the remaining soldiers and cut them down with an array of weaponry. Patricia tries to make a quick escape, but gets caught by one of the original thugs. And as he's trying to lead her away, Joe rushes up behind him and avoids a bunch of clumsy attacks, then knocks the guy back onto a random pickaxe. The ninjas, by the way, who've already trained their arrows on Joe, decide that after he subdued the would-be kidnapper would be the time that they should let the arrows fly. Joe, because he's awesome, uses the handle of a shovel to deflect two arrows aimed at him and block one arrow that would have skewered Patricia. Joe snaps the arrow in half, to which the ninja leader responds with a deployment of his ninja chorus line. The leader himself corners the convoy sergeant and presses him for info on Joe, but the sergeant's at a loss. Who is he? I don't know. He's a new recruit. I don't even know his name. He possessed great skills. Joe and Patricia head into the jungle to avoid the ninja, and oddly, Patricia can't help but mouth off at Joe for daring to help her escape. Luckily, her protests don't alert the ninja to their presence, so they double back. When Patricia complains about having a hard time trekking through the jungle terrain, Joe sits her down, breaks the heels off her shoes, and cuts a sensible slit down the middle of her skirt to allow her to run freely. Is she at all appreciative that Joe's trying to keep her alive? You, my dear, are going to town and buy me new shoes and new skirt. Don't you touch my skirt! By the way, Joe does all of this without ever uttering a word, instead relying on the 80s version of Blue Steel to get his point across. 
They hustle back through the jungle to a high riverbank, but with the ninja on their tails, they hop into the water and sink down long enough for the ninja to pass them by. Back on the main road, the boss ninja has made off with the convoy while at the river, Patricia and Joe have emerged and have to figure out their next move. Patricia divas it up for a bit until Joe utters his first line in the film. Are you okay? Now, for a guy who just took out a few dozen mercs, Joe isn't exactly sporting a rich, smooth baritone, now is he? Patricia complains about her clothes being soaked, so Joe suggests that they take some time to dry their clothes out in the sun before heading back to the base. So, some of his fellow soldiers just died in front of him. Ninja tried to kidnap Patricia, chase them deep into the jungle, and since they're masters of stealth, could still be lying in wait for all they know. But sure, take an hour or two to dry out your clothes, because what the audience and Patricia apparently needs now is a gratuitous shirtless shot of Joe's abs. Later, as the bodies of the fallen soldiers are being laid out at the base, the colonel lays into the convoy leaders about losing Patricia, so they in turn throw Joe under the bus. What the hell happened out there? We've never had any casualties in any of these incidents before. We wouldn't have had any this time either, sir, if that new man hadn't been along. Your daughter'd be here right now, safe. If he hadn't started acting like John Wayne. After swearing to make Joe sorry he ever joined the unit, he calls over Corporal Curtis Jackson for a report on the wounds his men suffered. Jackson, here played by Steve James, calmly explains that according to the marks and eyewitness testimony, this was the work of ninja. Not rebel mercenaries, not bounty hunters, not angry local militia. Ninja. In the jungle of the Philippines. Speaking of ninja, we cut to our ninja leader who's now unmasked and getting a stern talking to from his wealthy, heavily French-accented boss, Senor Victor Ortega. Yes, a Frenchman named Ortega. Anyway, he's threatened to shut down the whole operation because the ninjas botched this one job. Our ninja does his best to cover his ass by claiming that they were thwarted by an American ninja. An American ninja? What are you talking about? There is no such thing. I do not lie. I know it is death to teach the secrets to the Westerner. But I also know there was any American ninja there. Given that there's a multi-million dollar arms deal on the line the next day, he gives the order to take the American ninja out. Meanwhile, Joe and Patricia have hitched a ride to Patricia's house, where Joe walks her to the door and they exchange a tender goodbye like it was an awkward first date, not a life-or-death struggle against ruthless assassins. No, we gotta report this to my dad and get the police involved or anything like that. Instead, she gives him a kiss on his cheek, which he momentarily gushes over. He doesn't look like he gets to enjoy it for too long, though, because we cut right to Joe getting dressed down by the colonel for his inciting an incident with locals when they're specifically under order to keep a low profile. Regardless of how he brought his daughter back safe and sound, Joe does not have friends in high places. There's going to be an investigation. You're going to be court-martialed, and I can't help you. Get out of my sight. What is the Potter family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Sound Bites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Ogre Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey guys, this is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Podern Family. Use the hashtag Podern Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home.
When Joe's dismissed, we learn from his records that Joe has no known birth date, no known parents, and no known next of kin. According to what few records they do have, he was working construction when an explosion knocked him unconscious. He woke up in a hospital with total amnesia and spent the rest of his life in and out of foster homes and in and out of trouble with the law when he nearly killed a man at the age of 16. Apparently, Joe was given a choice to either enlist or go to jail, so Joe enlisted. Though, how he filled out any paperwork with amnesia and no known family references is a mystery that's never going to be resolved. As Joe is walking back to his barracks, he walks right into Jackson and his unit, along with Charlie from earlier, who points Joe out and fingers him for the incident in the jungle. Joe slips by and gets to his bunk, but is shunned by every other soldier he encounters. Apparently, they all blame him for the incident and resent his presence. Four bodies to impress a girl. It was a heavy price, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Joe, meanwhile, has retreated into his mind where we get a short flashback to a hazy memory of a young Joe being mentored by an older Asian man, apparently dressed in some kind of fatigues. Back with our rich boss man Ortega, he's busy receiving a wealthy client and showing him around his compound before they hash out the terms of their deal. Ortega takes a moment to introduce an old garter named Shinyuki. This is Shinyuki. He's responsible for the beautiful landscape that you see around you. I found him when I bought the estate. He was hiding in the jungle. In uniform, a Japanese soldier, who was unaware for many years that the war was over. He never says a word. Ortega then takes his client to another section of the compound and shows off a whole ninja training ground, complete with dozens of ninja, all separated into groups like it's a summer camp. Some of the ninja, who, again, are supposed to be masters of stealth, are dressed in not traditional training suits, but bright canary yellow, fire truck red, blue, and even orange suits. Each of the groups is busy training in some crazy discipline like walking over a high set of monkey bars or weaving through a set of spiked logs swinging from a standard playground swing. Seriously, it looks like a day camp for quote-unquote special ninja. But this is Ortega's personal security force who helps keep merchandise safe and moving by eliminating any obstacles. To show just how effective they are, he introduces the client to the ninja leader who has some students nearby to perform a demo. Fight scene. The ninja leader faces off against four students who give all they can against their teacher. He's able to dodge all their attacks and dishes out a few punishing kicks and punches in return. He doesn't hold anything back and sends some of his students flying. When they grab some wooden practice swords, we get to see their leader dodge their attacks and turn their swords against them. One by one, he disarms the students and lays them out, all except for the last student who, by the luck of the draw, is the final showcase piece in this demo. When the leader turns this student's practice wooden sword against him, he swipes across his belly, then turns and slashes down across his back in what, if this had been a real sword, would have flayed this guy like he was a prisoner of House Bolton. Good demo, right? Not good enough, apparently. The leader then locks this student in the headlock with the sword. Then, on a nod from Ortega, the ninja leader snaps the student's neck and drops him to the ground. He killed his own student. In a demo. Black Star Ninja is the only top-ranking ninjutsu sensei outside Japan. Believe me when I tell you this man is uh, deeply honored to die at his hand. Sure he is, Senor Ortega. Sure he is. Back at the base, Corporal Jackson's wrapping up a drill when he spots Joe working on a truck. He and a few guys from his platoon walk over and start giving Joe grief. <laughs> Are you some kind of a badass karate boy? Because from what I heard, you should have acted like one the other day. Yeah. I realized some good friends because of it, huh? Uh, 
Joe tries to ignore him until Jackson actually steps to him and calls him out to fight him. Joe again tries to walk away, but Jackson lays hands on him, and it's on. Fight scene. Joe quickly grabs Jackson's wrist and flips him like a pancake, and Joe keeps trying to stand down, but Jackson keeps pushing the issue, so he attacks clumsily, and Joe uses his momentum to again send him sprawling. And this isn't so much a fight as it is Jackson getting embarrassed by a very lackadaisical Joe tossing him around. After one flip, Joe walks over to a prone Jackson and spills a bucket of water over his face. Jackson's boxing gets thwarted by a garden hose, but he keeps coming. Someone eventually hands him a stick to use, but Joe's response is quite unexpected. Instead of grabbing a weapon to counter, Joe takes the empty bucket and puts it over his head, then kneels down and points to his head. Urged on by his platoon, Jackson smirks and leans into a big overhead swipe, but Joe pulls out some Jedi Force sense and catches the strike, flips Jackson again, then swings the stick down to land just above Jackson's face. That's the tap out for Jackson. Now when he gets up, instead of being pissed that he got thrashed, Jackson extends an olive branch and urges his platoon to accept Joe as well. I guess that whole your actions killed some of our men sentiment got beat out of him. A sergeant who witnessed the whole thing summons Joe to the office for punishment duty, despite Jackson now trying to cover for him. Sometime later, Jackson continues to try and befriend Joe and learns about Joe's amnesia. While they're talking, Joe catches a glimpse of Patricia as she's getting into a car and preparing to leave for home in California. In the car, she abruptly demands that Charlie turn around and take her back, and for him to keep his mouth shut about it. Jackson and Joe continue building their friendship with Jackson trying to convince Joe to join him as part of a fighting exhibition to make some extra money on the side. Charlie approaches them with some concocted scheme that requires someone to pass a note to a girl that Charlie's interested in off-base. It's set up so that only Joe can do it, but to do so, Joe would have to violate his confinement to base and not get caught. Alright, so let's work this out amongst ourselves for a second. If we need to get off-base and not get caught, the last thing we should do is draw attention to ourselves, right? So we should do it quietly, discreetly, and maybe use a diversion or two to keep all eyes off of us. So what does Joe do? He borrows Jackson's loud-as-hell motorcycle, peels out across an open yard, finds a ramp that's conveniently set up against the outer wall, and hops over it, landing neatly on the other side. Nice and discreet. Anyway, Joe cruises over to the address specified and, to no one's surprise, finds Patricia waiting for him. Joe's hesitant, but Patricia insists that they're going to have a lovely evening together. So they go out to dinner at a swanky restaurant where Joe notices that the sergeant that witnessed his fight with Jackson is seated right across from them. Seated with him is Senor Ortega. Patricia's not the least bit worried about any of this, but apparently she should be. Arresting this guy's not enough. I want him dead. Dead? There's an investigation going on right now. They blow the whole thing wide open. You sure? Yes. And already I know how you are going to do it. Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh, <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tuba Man. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tuba Man. Planets of Miserable Slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. I, I, I really, there's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me and he day? And he just, he only plays it to torment the other slug. Super Bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Yeah, you're right. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray, all in the same place. <laughs>
<laughs> original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keillor or Lil Wayne? Uh huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's Lil Wayne. No, dude. It's Garrison Keillor. Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean... No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it, it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. I mean, I watched it. You are literally... The, <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. The opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> Well, if you want, if it like comes around, like listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and Yeah. Yeah. After spending the night with Patricia, Joe eventually makes it back to the barracks, only to be rudely awakened by the sergeant who gets right in his grill about leaving the base. He assigns Joe to the motor pool where he's assigned to bring a truck to a warehouse on the dock. But when Joe arrives, the place is desolate. Except that is, for a few black clad ninja. Fight scene. Joe avoids a spear thrown from the rafters and then has to duck some arrows using the warehouse's shelves as cover. A few sword-wielding ninja attack, but Joe is able to shake them and grabs one ninja's dagger, cutting them all down with some nifty moves. Another ninja drops down from above, but Joe is able to slip out of the way and run him through. Now, with a sword in hand, Joe stalks the rest of the warehouse and picks off a few more guys where they're hiding. He lifts a shuriken and tosses it at another ninja who was politely waiting in the rafters for his turn to attack. Joe takes on another half-dozen guys, even escaping a net to get out. To be fair, the fights are not spectacularly dynamic by any stretch. There's no dazzling speed or flashes of skill from anybody here. At the time of filming, Dudikoff didn't actually know any martial arts. He was hired more for his James Dean looks, but kudos to the director and the fight choreographer for at least making the fighters look somewhat competent. You gotta remember that this movie was made back in 85 on a B-movie budget, and was catering specifically to prepubescent boys who just wanted to see some wall-to-wall action, so there's probably no money in the budget for any high-quality martial artists. Oddly enough, though, Chuck Norris was the original choice for the role of Joe, which would have instantly raised the profile of this film, but he had to pass on the project because he didn't want to wear a mask to hide his face. Outside the warehouse, some other goons are barring the doors to make sure Joe doesn't get out. They take off with the truck, but Joe's found a way out of the roof, steals a motorcycle, and chases after the truck. The high-speed chase tears through the area, upending carts and generally causing chaos until the truck driver turns on the bike and seemingly crushes it under his front wheels. But we find out that Joe's actually hanging onto the front bumper and snakes his way underneath to hitch a ride to wherever the truck is headed, which of course happens to be Senor Ortega's compound. The truck wheels into a garage where Joe slides out in time to witness Senor Ortega coming in to inspect the contents of the stolen truck. Pleased with what he finds there, he gives the green light for the next day's shipment. After everyone exits the warehouse, Joe slides out and takes a peek to find that the shipment is some kind of super weapon. Unfortunately, one warehouse guard who was slow to exit Happens upon Joe, who throws a quick kick to knock the guy out, but not before he lets off a round from his gun, alerting the guys just outside the door. Joe hustles up into the rafters while Senor Ortega and his whole crew rush back in. Black Star Ninja dispatches his ninja crew to search the warehouse while Joe makes his way out through a skylight in the roof again. He gets spotted by a sentry, who starts shooting, so Joe has to parkour his way off the roof while the whole Ortega contingent chases after him. Joe leads them on a short chase into another warehouse and then heads off into the jungle with the soldiers doing their best stormtrooper impersonations and whiffing with every shot from fairly close range. As Ortega sends the ninja out after him, Joe gets stopped in the jungle by Shinyuki, Ortega's gardener, who quickly urges Joe to head off in a different direction through the jungle. Who are you? You will know when the time is right. 
Our paths will meet again. What do you mean? Your karma and mine, they are connected. Go! Joe looks down the path and then looks back to Shinyuki, who's pulled a Batman and just disappeared. But with the ninja closing in, Joe takes the path and finds that it leads to a hidden bunker. As he pops in, Black Star Ninja scans the thicket and curses it, having lost his quarry. Even though, it looks like this bunker is no more than about 200 yards away from a main building. Routine landscaping probably tripped over this thing, but do the ninja find it? Nah. A perturbed Ortega calls over to his plant, Sergeant Ronaldo, with a mission-critical directive. Ronaldo here. Listen, he escaped the trap in the warehouse. I don't know how he did it. The ambush was perfect. Listen to me, Sergeant. He was here. He's seen the missile. He knows too much, and I want him dead. I don't care how you do it. The plan must proceed as progress. Don't worry about it, Victor. He'll be taken care of. Joe, meanwhile, has made it back to the base, but is placed under arrest upon reaching the gate and gets thrown in the brig. Elsewhere, Corporal Jackson, in trying to get Joe off the hook, learns that he's been jailed for stealing military equipment. When he takes the case to Sergeant Ronaldo, Ronaldo obviously shuts his line of questioning down, leaving Jackson frustrated and angry. So he takes his issue to someone who can do something about it. The colonel's daughter, Patricia. Unfortunately, when the pair of them try to present their case to the colonel, he could not possibly care less and dismisses them both without a second thought. As far as he's concerned, Joe is going to get court-martialed and he'll be happy to be there to make sure it happens. Back at the Ortega compound, Ortega's talking with Blackstar out in the open right within earshot of Shinyuki, who's doing some flower arrangement nearby. The American knows too much. It is too dangerous to let him live. He must be terminated. My men failed to kill him in the jungle. They made it a mistake of underestimating him. I will not. Can you do it? Can you kill him? Then do it. That night, the lone Black Star Ninja makes his way to the brig, cuts the power, then crawls across the power lines and into the prison. He takes out a few guards in the dark, slashing and garroting them, then uses his scythes to bust the lock on a door to gain access to the cells. When he finds Joe's cell, he lets off a flashbang smoke bomb, pops open the cell door, then stabs right through the figure on the bed. Too bad they were only pillows. Blackstar moves through the cell to the toilet area where Joe pops out and hops to a nice secure spot on the wall just above the door, like Spider-Man. Lucky for him, another guard is rushed in, drawing Blackstar's attention. The ninja slices away at the guy, which frees Joe up to skip out of there without so much as a thank you. Outside the building now, Joe leads the ninja on a nighttime chase through the prison yard and onto a tank where they finally square off. Fight scene. Now, despite having a number of distance weapons on him, Blackstar decides to go hand-to-hand with Joe, and they trade off as they hop across various military vehicles. Joe gets his hands on a hook pole and manages to wound the ninja, who up to this point has conveniently left his sword holstered. He eventually does bring the sword into play, giving us a pretty dynamic exchange, until the ninja cuts through Joe's pole, narrowly missing slicing Joe in half. Joe falls off the tank, drawing the ninja down just as some MPs arrive in a jeep to spot the assassin. They open fire, giving Joe a chance to escape, but the ninja returns fire with some blades. As alarms sound across the base, Joe hides out just behind the barracks as soldiers pour out to respond to the klaxon. As Jackson passes him, Joe pulls him aside to ask for his help. Jackson! Joe, how the hell did you get out of prison? Eh? Never mind. Look, Jackson, I need your help. The ninjas were sent to kill me in my cell. And they're going to try again. All right, wait, wait, wait. Let's start from the beginning, man, so I know what you're talking about. The sergeant's got some big operation going. Since Ortega's planning on carrying out his big weapons deal in just a few hours, Joe figures there's no time to try and clear his name. Instead, 
He asks Jackson to get him a Jeep and rendezvous with him so that he can go after Ortega himself. A short time later, Joe delivers the Jeep, but he's got Patricia with him, who tries to convince Joe to trust her and go back to talk to the colonel. Joe, please listen to me. Please, why don't you talk to my father first? I know he'll listen to you. I know what I'm doing. You gotta trust somebody sometime. Reluctantly, Joe agrees, and the three of them head back to the colonel to try and explain everything. After he hears their story, the colonel decides that he's going to go get to the bottom of things and orders a full investigation, along with a complement of MPs and an investigation team who would come right to his house. When they arrive, Sergeant Ronaldo is with them, and the trio get a rude shock when the colonel turns Joe over to the MPs and charges him with manslaughter. A disheartened Patricia protests, but then learns from the colonel that Joe had a criminal record even before joining the army. This gives her pause, and she asks Joe if it's true. And while everyone in the room stops and turns to Joe to hear his answer, Joe makes a dive at the window, crashing right through the glass, then leaping up over the garden wall into one of the MP's jeeps and off into the night with Ronaldo and crew giving chase. So we pick things up with a high-speed nighttime jeep chase as it winds through the countryside. Sergeant Ronaldo takes out his gun and starts firing at Joe, who lazily leans to the side to avoid the bullets. When one of the MP jeeps gets run off the road, Ronaldo gets pissed and actually throws his own driver from the jeep so that he can take over. The pair race along the road and play bumper cars for a bit until Joe gains leverage and nudges Ronaldo off the road. Now, true, these guys were speeding, but these are army jeeps, so it's not like they were going at Mach 5 or anything. And Ronaldo's off-road ditching isn't into any kind of ravine or anything. In fact, he just kind of drives off the shoulder and down a small hill and then crashes his car into a little sapling. However, because this is an 80s car chase... Seriously, if you have the movie, cue up that scene and look at the tree that Ronaldo hits. It's like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And the Jeep blows up like it was loaded with a trunk full of C4. Joe, meanwhile, watches the barbecue for a bit, then drives off, while back at the colonel's house, Ortega's pulled up in a limousine, and in a big twist, we learn that the colonel has been in on this whole thing with Ortega from the beginning. As they go into the house to discuss their rapidly unraveling plan, the Black Star Ninja slides out of the limo as well, and hops up onto the roof, to make his way to Patricia's room, where he pops in and knocks her unconscious. Meanwhile, the colonel's putting an end to the arms deal because only now, after the deaths of so many people, is he getting cold feet about what he's party to. Ortega, who stands to make $4 million on the deal, gets in his face, which promptly gets punched by the colonel. We're not shipping it out. I'll be there in the morning to take everything back. Now you get out. This has been a very big mistake, my Ortega hops back into his limo and looks to the back where Black Star's got an unconscious Patricia resting against him. Later, as they drive through the Ortega compound gate, we see Joe perched atop the guardhouse watching them. When they're in, Joe jumps down and takes out all the guards with very little effort and makes his way up to the main house. While skulking around through the corridor, he gets grabbed from behind and threatened with a knife to the back of his neck. Joe relents and turns to find that it's actually Shinyuki. Remembered well. It was you. Before the explosion, it was you. It is time to remember everything. Come. So, this meeting has triggered Joe's memories. How exactly? Anyway, right in the middle of this very tense situation, I mean, Joe's on the run from the law and Ninja. He's in the middle of storming the castle to try and end the pending arms shipment and all that. Shinyuka decides that it's a good time to sit down for some tea and reminiscing. We get a flashback of a young Joe climbing trees and learning some philosophy from a younger Shinyuki 
who looks after the boy like he was his own son. Shinyuki apparently found Joe and raised him as his own until a construction explosion separated the two and gave Joe his amnesia. There's so much I remember. But there's also so much I don't remember. I let you forget what you saw before I found you, so that your mind would not be clouded with pain. But now you are ready. Now you're ready? Ready for what? And because tea wasn't enough of delay, Shinyuki takes Joe to another room to complete his training as a ninja and equip him with various ninja weaponry that hopefully Joe can call up from his damaged memory banks. Things look good because in the span of tea and shurikens, Joe had been able to recall the ninja code and some bits of what Shinyuki calls ninja magic to help him in his coming battle. You are ready, my son. I will be with you indeed and in my heart. Follow the Bushido. I will honor the code, father. Beware the Black Star Ninja. He has taken the dark path and has betrayed the code. Then, he must die. Okay, should I do my movie voice? Yeah, do it. Hi, this is a Beardo and a Weirdo talk film. A movie podcast. Actually, it's, isn't it a film podcast? Because it's called a Beardo and a Weirdo talk film. A beardo and a weirdo talk film. A film podcast about films. <laughs> F-I-L. F to the I to the L-M-S. Films, yeah. We talk about films, don't we? We talk about old films. Mainly new what, films, though. What about, Matt, enlighten me. What, what was the film we just reviewed? Um, I believe it was Fantastic Beasts. Ooh. And where to not find them. Ooh. And and what was your rating out of out of the Matt, Matt, Matt out of ten? Uh, that was a reasonably warm 7 out of 10. What was yours, Joe? I gave it an 8. An 8. An so 8. You, you think it's slightly better um, than me, but... Oh, dirty slut. He just gives everything away. You just give it away, didn't just you? Just take it. Take it. Take take the 8. Take the 8. Take it. Take it deep. You know you, know you want the 8. But yeah, uh, you can find a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud. There's YouTube, but there's no video footage, so you just listen to it and look at a picture of us, so uh, that's good. Yep. And Eddie Redmayne has autism, and he guns a lot. I can do magic, me. It's all started to fall into place. <laughs> Final fight. Okay, so you're going to want to buckle up because so much goes on in this last 15 minutes and honestly, there are a couple parts you just do not want to miss. We move to an open field here and the weapons shipment is being delivered and there's a small army of ninjas and guards flocking to surround it and safeguard it. Joe, meanwhile, from a location that is right near the drop-off point, emerges in full ninja gear, and gets ready to go. Shinyuki steps out to see him off as a helicopter carrying Ortega's buyer lands in the field. As the business transaction goes down and the gents start walking to inspect the goods, Joe has popped up on a roof and fires an arrow right at their feet. When Blackstar identifies him as the American Ninja, Joe fires off another arrow aimed directly at Ortega, but Blackstar catches it out of the air and breaks it over his knee. In response, Joe in silhouette breaks his bow in half, because why not? Ortega gives the order to kill him and the soldiers all open fire, all aiming at the big truck with all the weapons inside it. Joe ducks all the bullets and hustles off as Black Star is tasked with bringing out their prisoner, Patricia. American! It was a nice try, but it wasn't good enough. I have your girlfriend here. You have 30 seconds to surrender. Your girlfriend is dead. Joe, don't do it! 
hear me. Or maybe you don't like her as much as he thinks you do, huh? The countdown close, Joe shows up waving his sigh around, but Blackstar hops behind Patricia and holds a knife to her throat. Joe reluctantly throws down his arms as Ortega orders the ninja to move in and kill him. Not the guys with the guns, mind you. The ninja. They close in and Joe whips out his sword ready to take on the whole lot when a smoke bomb goes off right next to him. When the smoke clears, Shinyuki's standing beside him in his own ninja gear, ready to throw down too. The ninja, who as always have perfected the fighting art of attacking only one at a time, are quickly handled by Joe and Shinyuki. They dance around one another and let the steel fly all over the hapless ninja army. When the last few ninjas start to fall, Joe keeps an eye on one guy only to watch him straight up disappear into thin air. This momentarily distracts Joe and allows Blackstar to launch a dagger at him. But another smoke bomb goes off and just like before, Shinyuki pops up out of nowhere and jumps in front of the blade intended for Joe. Joe turns his mildly enraged eyes up to Blackstar who starts to move in but they're all interrupted by the arrival of Corporal Jackson who's leading a convoy of armed jeeps spraying bullets across the battlefield. As the armed soldiers start to drop, Joe's trying to sneak his way up to the truck but gets cut off by Blackstar himself. The two ninja race through the ninja daycare while Jackson and the colonel blow up everything in their way across the Ortega compound. This is just straight up carnage. Blackstar and Joe lock up in a close quarter battle that ranges all over the training camp. They break out all the cool ninja weaponry and even have to race climb a rope to get up to a large wall. Once there, Blackstar flexes his hand and somehow ignites a flamethrower that sends a huge plume of flame towards Joe's climbing rope. Meanwhile, Jackson has his hands pulled with several thugs and he gets to show off some of his moves while his convoy continues to absolutely wreck the compound. Again, there are random explosions all going on around this big weapon shipment and it gets to the point where the buyers finally decide that maybe this deal isn't quite worth it and they decide to back out and leave. Of course, Ortega isn't so keen on this idea, so he shoots the buyers in the back and heads for their chopper. Oh, get to the chopper! <laughs> No, wait, wrong film. The colonel, trying to save his daughter, stands down while Ortega boards the chopper but can't hold back and starts to rush forward. Ortega wastes no time and puts two right in his chest, killing him in front of Patricia. The helicopter is about to take off when Ortega spots the ninja fight going on on a rooftop, so he stalls their escape to wait for Blackstar. Back with the ninja, Joe is rushing at Blackstar when Blackstar lifts his left hand and somehow fires bullets from his gauntlet. A gauntlet gun! Joe ducks down behind a wall then pops back up again and responds with some relatively boring return fire when he throws some traditional shuriken, which Blackstar avoids easily. The guys take the fight to the ground where, and I need you to pay attention to this point, Blackstar again raises his arm and fires a freaking laser beam at Joe, which misses him and shatters a nearby potted plant. He fires a freaking laser beam. Apparently it's a one-and-done weapon because He's got to retreat to some open space where Joe catches up and they resort to those boring old swords. The sword fight itself isn't particularly dynamic, but the combatants give it a good go and they do get to show off some nifty turns and a solid steel on steel showing. Joe does one such turn and ducks down, which puts him right in an open spot on the attacking Blackstar, and he exploits it by burying his sword into Blackstar's belly. He gives it a twist for good measure, then slices up to cut through the ninja's chin and up his face. Ortega decides to take off, but Joe's close enough that he hops on the helicopter's front runner and hangs on as the bird tries to lift off. Ortega starts firing at him, but because he can't get a clear shot, climbs out onto the runners himself and tries to shoot from there. Back on the ground, Jackson secured the super weapon, which is a missile launcher of some kind, and he's aiming it at the chopper, 
quietly instructing Joe to get clear. In the sky, Joe knocks Ortega out and grabs Patricia and manages to jump out of the chopper onto a nearby rooftop. As the bird tries to lift away again, Jackson lets the missile fly, incinerating the copter instantly. Joe takes Patricia to the edge of the roof and throws her down to awaiting Jackson, then smolders the film out. Steve James continued working until his death in 1993 of pancreatic cancer. Judy Aronson also continued working with a role in the 2005 film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and, might I say she's looking as good as ever, Michael Dudikoff went on to make two more American Ninja movies and recently came back from a hiatus to get back into filmmaking. And yes, this film is not good, at least not in the traditional sense. The characters are cartoons, the plot is nonsensical, there are more holes in it than a Kelly Conway explanation, but remember, this was made for a specific audience. Mid-1980s teenage boys, and on that aspect, it delivers in spades. Until this film, the ninja was strictly an Eastern product, so having Dudikoff represent the good old USA as a ninja gave hope to little American boys that they too could wield the mystic art of the assassin, complete with magic and lasers. Dudikoff himself had two jobs in this film, smolder and fight. And to his credit, he does a more than capable job of selling the fact that he's a competent ninja, especially since he had no formal martial arts training. Now, to be fair, he gets a lot of help from stunt coordinators and camera angles, but whoever shot this movie should have been hired to shoot the fight scenes in Iron Fist, because as it stands, Joe picks off Danny Rand any day. It also helped that when dressed in full ninja garb, anybody could have been in that suit and been Joe Armstrong, something else that the Iron Fist TV show could do well to pick up. Now, whether the American Ninja could take on Beverly Hills Ninja is a story for another episode. Critics were not kind to this film, earning it a big fat goose egg on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience score at least gave it a 46% because there is a time and place for movies like this. For me, that was 1985 when Kung Fu was cooling down, but Ninja were all the rage. Lasers and all. One reviewer, Alex Sandal of Juicy Cerebellum, said, quote, I hate it now. I loved it when I was 14. You and me both, Alex. Alright, that's going to wrap up this American Treat, gang. Hope it continued that patriotic feeling from last week. And as always, holler at me on all the social media. And every now and then I try to get on Anchor to talk about other Kung Fu stuff, not necessarily the movies. So catch me there if you can. Shout out to the Potter family, as always. And a special shout out to the Home Video Hustle podcast, who I got to chat with a bit last week. Their show focuses solely on movies that, uh, let's say, did not get Oscar consideration. One of the films that they had on tap was American Samurai, and I commented on it because this show is in the queue, so go check out their show because they're genuinely enjoying the movies that they're watching and talking about, so it's a good listen and a good time. Until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. Shouting monks on their hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea roaming over the land. Yeah, the little big soldier is old and wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to raise jars. Fight for the cars, then pause, hear the applause. Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but more.
course, no hit back. Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jelly's even faster. The channel little dream because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time, a shiner. Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see, Maggie show your spiner. Golden Swallow has arrived. Shang Chi movies will the hero will survive. We've got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain, gonna fight. May as well pick a spot. Yeah, the sky goes black, cut the vampires back. We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all, so stand back. He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Mantis style. Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles. Blood will spill now on the mountain tops when we bring back the soul of the legendary pops. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war. We smash the place up with our dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time and trying to count on the TikTok The Shogun Assassin slash and blood just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the won't stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassin She's got her just in yellow but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall No fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless Unleash the fist of legend that the car jelly. I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast. You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets. And it's simple, see the facts are these. It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we get it drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war. We smash the place so with a dragon claws. We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we get it drunk and then we're fighting.